Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not an hour's. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you're skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Now, let's join our service. Welcome to the second message in our series, Magnetic, Activating the Power of Influence. Uh, over these few weeks, we're attempting to deconstruct some of the fear that keeps us from boldly inviting people to consider following Jesus with their lives. We're, we're trying to reframe how we think about evangelism to broaden our perspectives so that we can more effectively share the good news in our bruised and broken world. That's, what all, that's all it is, is sharing the good news. What is the good news, you might ask? The good news is that God loved us so much he sent his only son to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. Sin that separated us from God. Sin had broken our relationship with God with no hope of fixing it on our own. So God sent his son, Jesus, and he paid the price for us by taking our place on the cross. And then after he died, three days later, he conquered death itself when he was resurrected. And now he invites us to live a Christ-directed life, free from the bondage of sin, powered by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. That is the good news. And after the resurrection, before Jesus returned to heaven, he gathered his closest followers and he, and he told them this, as recorded in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's one of the most basic commands of Jesus that drives the mission of almost every church and should drive the mission of every Christ follower. We call this the Great Commission. 
And interestingly enough, the Barna organization just this week released the results of a poll that, that revealed that only 12% of all Christians in the U.S. know what the Great Commission is, which certainly gives us a picture of what is or isn't happening in too many churches across the land. The Great Commission, go and tell, invite. This is one of those commands that applies to everyone who follows Christ. And man, that first century church took Jesus at his word. And history tells us that they were irresistible. The love and community they invited people into literally changed the world. Everything good in this world today, from feeding the poor and caring for the sick to establishing basic human rights and equality, was birthed through the activities of the early church. When love does what love does... That is, when we love the way Jesus told us to love, it is irresistible. We only have to look at the first century church for proof. I can't help but wonder, and this is pure speculation on my part, if it didn't take Satan a, a while to regroup. Think about it. As Jesus took his last breath, hell celebrated the win. From hell's perspective, death had conquered Satan isn't omniscient like God. He isn't all-knowing. If he were all-knowing, he would have done everything in his power to keep Jesus off the cross. He had no idea what would come next. So the night Jesus died, as the celebration raged on in hell, Satan took his playbook, the one that outlined his strategy to win. He closed it and he threw it into the, the fires of hell. He didn't need it anymore. And then three days later, he had to come up with a whole new plan to stop the advance of Jesus in this world. So I can imagine it took him a little time to regroup because this was a whole new ball game. Now again, that's just speculation and a little creative thinking on my part. But here's my point. In some sense, Satan did have to write a new playbook. He had to write a new script for his minions to follow. And that playbook, that script, has undergone multiple iterations as he has tried to suppress the church through the ages. With some success. More success as time has gone by. I know he's had success because the capital C church is no longer irresistible. People have resisted it just fine. Which brings us to today. Our culture operates by that same script. Once you know what you're looking for, it's pretty obvious. It always leads to the same end. Here's, here's our culture script in a nutshell. These are the rules of engagement of that script. The only truth that matters is my truth. No one has any right to push their truth on me. My identity is what I decide it is. I can do anything I want with no consequences. No one can tell me what to do, how to live, or who to love. Whatever makes me happy is the ultimate pursuit. Anyone who doesn't affirm everything I've decided I am the way I want them to affirm me is intolerant. Which means that according to this script, Christians are bigoted haters. 
They hate people of color. They hate people who identify as LGBTQ. They hate people from other religions. Christians are judgmental and self-righteous. Christians are hypocritical. They talk about love, but when they don't affirm you the way you, you want them to, they're unloving. Christians are unenlightened, stupid, backwards, old-fashioned people who haven't kept up with this changing world. Christians are weak people who need the crutch of religion to get through life. Christians just want to push their beliefs on you. Christianity is irrelevant. Christians are irrelevant. I know it's a little more complicated than this. Whatever secular ideology they might be peddling at any given moment will have some nuance, but this is enough of a nutshell for our purposes today. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. We see this script playing out in every corner of our culture. Our kids are being indoctrinated into this worldview almost every waking moment. From kindergarten through college, this is what they're learning. It's embedded in YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and all the other social media outlets. They spend hours scrolling each day. It's woven through the storylines of movies and shows they stream as entertainment. We see it in headlines and news stories, in advertising and marketing. It comes at, it from, at us from our government and court systems. Most of us find this incredibly disturbing and discouraging even a little overwhelming at times. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower. This was one of Jesus' parables, and in it, he describes four, four types of soil that we sow seeds of good news into. As Jesus put it, some of our seed falls on the hard soil of the footpath. And these seeds don't last long before Satan comes and takes them away. And then, and then some seed falls on rocky soil, and for a moment, it looks like it could grow. But ultimately, the rocks keep the roots from developing. The rocks are barriers to developing deep roots. Then when trouble comes, they don't have what it takes to survive. Some seed falls on a third type of soil. Jesus describes it as thorny soil. Those seeds take root but ultimately fail to thrive, not because of their root systems, but because of what life looks like above the soil. The distractions of this life, the quest for fame, power, and money, the worries and concerns, the anxieties of life keep the plant from bearing any fruit. These distractions compete with God for control of the heart. And, of course, then there is the fertile soil. Seed that falls on fertile soil takes root and bears fruit. 30, 60, even 100 times more than the seed that was planted. The end result of this indoctrination, this leaching of this secular worldview into our culture, is a hardening of more and more soil, making the process of evangelism much longer and much more difficult. Now the good news for us, as we learned last week, is that we aren't responsible for the state of the soil. We're not responsible uh, to, for, for the soil. We are responsible to sow seeds and water seeds that others have already sown. Uh, we lumped both of those together into one statement, we sow seeds. But Paul put it this way to the church in Corinth. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom, you who, through whom you believe the good news. If you missed last week and don't understand the, the background here, you can go back and watch it later. It's available on our website and YouTube channel. 
Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. So we sow, we water, God does the rest. But what exactly is it that we sow? What constitutes a seed? And before we get to that, we have a decision to make. This decision is the foundation for everything that follows. This decision determines what kind of seed we will sow. If we, in the words of the Templar Knight in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, choose wisely, we will become as irresistible as the early church. No power of hell will be able to keep us from taking ground for the kingdom of God. But if we don't choose wisely, we will be more and more relegated to the fringes of culture deemed irrelevant by those we seek to reach. Here's what we have to decide. Have I got your attention? Don't miss this. This is too important for you to be thinking of anything else. We have to decide whether we are going to play by Satan's script, his playbook, if you will, or are we going to write a new script? Whom are we going to allow to define the terms of engagement? Let that sink in for a moment. Try to win by letting Satan and all the systems of this world that belong to our enemy, try to win by letting him define the terms of engagement or come up with our own. Can't we just write a new script? Here's what I, what I mean by that. When we let our enemy determine the terms of engagement, when we play by Satan's script, the world's script, we end up playing defense all of the time, which makes us defensive. When they control the language of engagement, we end up trying to prove that we are not who they say we are, which makes us seem like we are exactly who they say we are. I said this last week, you will never argue someone into the arms of Jesus. A posture of argumentation is a recipe for disaster from an evangelistic standpoint. And it's playing by the wrong script. So let's write a new one. Actually, we don't even have to write it. It's already been written for us. We just have to choose to follow our script. Jesus and the apostles who gave us the New Testament laid it out for us. We just have to take some of these principles and apply them to evangelism. We need to use these principles to flip the script. Let's quickly remind ourselves of some of these principles. Uh, if you've been at Dayspring very long, you might already be thinking of the first principle. We talk about it a lot. Much of our everyday Christian living comes right back to this principle. We find it in the Gospel of John. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his closest followers to share a Passover meal. While they were together, Jesus, knowing that these would be his last words to his disciples, downloaded to them what was most important. This is my commandment, not commandments. I know you were raised with 613 commandments. Those 613 commandments haven't done much to change hearts. So let me make it simpler. Here's one. This one satisfies all of the others. Will you read this out loud with me? 
This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Love each other the same way I have loved you. It's really pretty simple, guys. But it wasn't that simple. The whole concept was so revolutionary that they needed some help figuring out love. So along came the Apostle Paul. He broke it down for them in one of the most famous passages in, in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he defined what loving like Jesus looks like. Very practically. He wrote, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, most of the time we think about these verses in the context of marriage or with our loved ones. And true that, these verses apply to those relationships. But nowhere in Jesus' one command, nowhere in any of these verses or any of Paul's writings, any, any of the other New Testament authors, nowhere is there any differentiation between those we love and those we don't, or don't yet, or just don't know. Paul also tells the Colossian church to let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. The New International Version translates that as our conversation should always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. When Paul wrote this, salt was used primarily as a preservative. It kept meat from spoiling. It was so valuable that it could be used like currency. Hence the term, that soldier isn't worth his salt. Uh, and of course, salt changes the flavor of whatever it's added to. So here in this verse, let your conversation preserve the message of Christ. Let your words add value to the conversation. That is, be uplifting and encouraging and let the flavor of Jesus change the tone and nature of your conversations. The Apostle Peter gives us these instructions, which in context are directed toward Christ followers uh, as, and the way that they relate with one another and then turn outward toward the world. This is a longer passage, uh, but it is so power-packed with principles to live by. It might be good to uh, get back to it in your own studies this week. That way you can savor these words. They are rich with meaning. They are salty. Uh, Peter writes, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. But instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessings. For the scriptures say, and Peter is quoting Psalm 34 here, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days... Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. 
but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I grant you his blessing. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Now these principles and more like them give us our script. This is the script the early church followed in the face of hardship and persecution, they had few allies. The government was against them. The laws were against them. The religious establishment was against them. Everything in their culture was against them. But following this script made them irresistible. And God used them to change the world. It didn't happen overnight. But eventually, love always wins. So how do we put them into practice? Uh, let's look at those four soil types again. Uh, we've got the hard soil of the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the fertile soil. Each one representing the state of a heart. I have to admit, I'm not much of a farmer. I know, shocking. Uh, I spent the, the, past four, the, the past few weeks moving four and a half yards of pea gravel around, the, around our house. <laughs> I've never been so glad that God called me into ministry. I have great respect for people who know how to work a shovel and make it look easy. So please take what I'm about to say as the complete idiot's guide to farming. It'll be released on Amazon next week and is sure to be a bestseller with my mom. I can Google with the best of them. So here's what little I know. All four of these soil types can grow something. They just require different types of seed and different styles of sowing. Interestingly enough, there are some flowers like impatiens, marigolds, irises, and a bunch of others I've never heard of that can grow in hard, compacted, clayey soil. Lavender, sweet alyssum, bellflower, and the ever-so-hard-to-kill cacti do well in rocky soil. Hyssop, tansy, and other weird plants can grow among the thorny soil, like, blash, like blackberry bushes. And then, what doesn't grow in fertile soil? My point is that all four soil types can grow something. It's just that different soils require different types of seed. The same is true when we are sowing seeds. And just trust me here, I'm the expert on farming after all. There are also different types of sowing. There is broadcast sowing where you just fling those seeds around. There's stripe seeding, point seeding, transplanting. You get the picture. And that's all you get. It's a very short book on farming. Uh, for us, maybe we can picture it like this. Like last week, if we picture the cross as the dividing line, the farther away from the cross one is, the harder the soil. When it comes to sowing in hard soil, you don't need to worry about whether you know how to lead someone to Christ or not. 
their soil isn't ready for that. I'd also suggest that conversations that lead to stalemates or arguments aren't worth the effort. In my experience, people with hard soil don't care at all about your answers about God and faith. They will gladly dump their junk on you, but it won't be a reciprocal conversation. Because I've talked about it in other messages, most, most of you know that uh, I have three dads. Uh, my biological dad is a great guy with lots of good values. Some not so great ones too, but let's keep our eyes on the good side. I can count on one hand the number of times he's asked me about my work. Anytime we hit a subject that I could use to bridge to faith, he'll just dump his opinion on me and then move on to another subject. And I let him. His soil isn't ready for anything else. I honestly think he's afraid I'm going to try to convert him. When the soil is hard, that type of seed won't work. And trying to force it will only make the soil harder. Probably break the relationship. So don't waste it. On the other hand, in hard soil, you can always sow seeds of kindness. In his book, The Secret Power of Kindness, Greg Atkinson says this about kindness. The secret power of kindness is the self-awareness to know that you have the power to make or break someone else's day and eventually change the world. Kindness has no hidden agenda or strings attached. Its only purpose is to express love to another soul made in the image of God. Researcher and author Brene Brown says, kindness has been defined as loaning someone your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. We live in a world where true kindness is rare. We see niceness more than we see kindness, but there is a difference between being nice and being kind. Nice is an external action. Kindness is Holy Spirit driven from the inside out. You can be nice without being kind. You can be nice to someone while you are planning to destroy them if you're that kind of person. But, but you can't be kind without being nice. I've found that you can often see the difference in someone's eyes. But Paul said love is kind. An attitude of blessing is also a good seed for hard soil. In every interaction, we want to bless. You can bless anywhere. It takes no relationship to be a blessing. I try to be a blessing going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. I try to bless as I interact with the cashier at the grocery store, at the doctor's office, at the bank, at the restaurant. When I leave an interaction, I want to leave that person lifted, lighter, encouraged, seen. Do you know how little effort it takes to be a blessing? Simply making eye contact can be a blessing. Have you ever noticed how many people don't look you in the eye? Eye contact makes people feel seen. And bonus, you can easily communicate kindness through your eyes with a genuine smile. I also love to call people by their name. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I try. Most of you have seen me try to do this on Sunday mornings. I do it everywhere. There is so much power in a name. Using it communicates something to that person. Even if you get it wrong, and I do all the time. The fact that you tried still means something. 
And lots of times, people wear name tags out in the world. So how hard, it is, how hard is it to call someone by their name when it's right there in front of you? Although, that can mess you up too. <laughs> I called someone by their name, uh, by the name on their name tag one time as I made my, my morning Diet Coke run through Mackers. She had swapped jackets with someone else, and I was wrong. I just laughed and said, okay, that one's on you. <laughs> Another seed that's a close relative to blessing is a surprise grace. The thing about, about a script is this. When you follow the script, you will always reach the same end. You'll always get the same result. This world's script leads to outrage. This world's script leads to narcissistic or self-focused ends. This world's script leads to frustration when even the littlest things don't go according to plan. Impatience, us versus them. Why not sow the seed of a surprise grace? Instead of giving someone what they deserve according to the world script, offer them a surprise grace. Offer them the opposite of what they would expect to receive according to their script. Don't confuse a surprise grace with its cousin, a random act of kindness. If you've ever gone through the drive-thru at Starbucks and the car in front of you paid for your order, that's a random act of kindness by the world's script. A surprise grace doesn't happen anonymously like that. A surprise grace is an intentional choice you make during an interaction with a person. The thing about surprises is that they are so few and far between that they stand out. Even the smallest surprise can be memorable. And people often share surprise graces with others, which adds some mileage to this seed. It can impact even more people than just the surprisee. I read about a traffic study a while back that I found intriguing. As I recall, the study found that when you're on the road, the simple act of letting someone merge in front of you, even though they don't deserve it and they should have planned ahead, but they were in such a rush to get ahead of people. When you make room for them, it changes the way they drive. And then the study showed they'll make room for someone else during the rest of their drive. Surprise graces are contagious. The next seed is best defined by a word few people use, winsome. Be winsome. To be winsome is to be charming and engaging. Maybe because it is so rare, winsomeness draws people in. It makes someone want to be around you more. I'd suggest that if you aren't winsome, you'll definitely lose some. It's Father's Day. I get one. <laughs> winsome people exude the joy of the Lord. Winsome people are quick to smile and they smile with their eyes. Winsome people add energy to the room. Most people are glad when a winsome person enters the room. Don't be the kind of person they're glad has left the room. If you're a gloomy Gus, you'll have a hard time being winsome. Your resting frowny face speaks volumes. It's harder for realists than optimists to be winsome. And it's harder for introverts than extroverts to be winsome. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. 
Figure out what winsome looks like the way God has wired you. Without winsomeness, you'll have a hard time convincing people that Jesus has made your life better. Especially if you don't have a relationship with the person. This is like broadcast sowing. You're just throwing seed around wherever you go. Most of it won't bear any fruit. But you never know what will bear fruit anyway. You don't know what God is going to use in someone else's life. You don't know when your sowing is actually watering seed that someone else has sown. You also don't know who else might be watching and how God might actually be using you to sow seed with the observer of the interaction. I was over at the senior living home where my father-in-law lives a couple of weeks ago. His table knew that one of the servers was in pain and they asked me to pray for her. So they called her over and asked if it was okay uh, if, if I prayed for her and she said yes and told me what was going on. I placed my hand on her arm and I prayed with a room full of people watching. She went back into the kitchen and about 10 minutes later she came out and she said, I am freaking out right now. I don't believe in God but I feel better. My back feels a little better. Now, obviously, we sowed some seed in her life, and we don't know what God is going to do with those seeds. But a whole room of people watched the entire interaction. That's a lot of indirect seeding. At the very least, you don't want to leave a bad taste in someone's mouth about Jesus. You don't want to be a barrier between someone else and the cross. And he calls himself a Christian, or she calls herself a Christian, often become just that. Now, these, those are just four ideas drawn from the verses we've read today for sowing seeds in hard soil. Four examples. I'm not trying to give you a complete sowing manual. Clearly, that's not going to be possible. I could, but I could, we could pretty easily come up with 10 to 15 more with just a little bit of time. Between Peter, Paul, and Jesus, there are lots of combinations of seeds. I'm just seeding your imagination. Sowing seed in rocky soil adds to those four ideas for sowing seeds. All four of those do their good work in all four soils. And everyone can do them. May I be so bold as to say they really are non-negotiable for Christ followers. There is no risk at all. There's nothing to be afraid of. No downside. You don't even have to say the name of Jesus. So broadcast them everywhere you go. Sow them generously in every soil. In rocky soil, you have the opportunity to be more intentional with your sowing. Now here, you might sense an opening that will allow for a deeper conversation. Rocky soil allows connection on a deeper level. By the way, since we rarely know what kind of soil we're dealing with, I like to test the waters. For example, when I meet someone new in the community, I will generally welcome them to Kaiser and ask them how they're settling into our city. Have they figured out where everything is? Have they found a home church yet? This is my way of just testing the waters. No one has ever been offended because I asked them if they found a church home. I ask it like I just assume everybody will be looking. 
Their answer gives me a clue about where to go next. And the question in and of itself sows a seed. When life is good, people often don't recognize their need for God. But when life gets hard, and it always gets hard at some point, God might use that simple little seed to direct them toward a church or a deeper conversation with me, which would be even better. Rocky soil is a great place to listen compassionately. Everyone has a story. Everyone faces challenges. Almost everyone is too busy living with little to no margin. 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, suffer feelings of loneliness. Around 30% of marriages are struggling. Around 20% of adults and 30% of kids under the age of 18, all of them suffer from some form of anxiety. More than 50% of parents feel like they aren't doing a good job as parents. And around 30% of Americans are caregivers at varying levels for their parents. When it comes to financial security, job security, or our current political climate, our health and well-being, and the list goes on. God uses all kinds of challenges to cultivate soil. We plant seed when we come along and connect compassionately with someone's story. We've all felt lonely. We've all worried about money. Every parent has worried about their kids. Many of us know what it feels like to lose a job or have a health scare. Talking about it often helps people navigate these seasons. Unfortunately, our culture is so focused on speaking their truth that they haven't noticed that no one is listening. Which gives people who can listen incredible opportunities to connect. That's why I've paired compassionate listening, compassion with listening. We need to cultivate the skill of listening, really listening. There's a difference between listening to respond and listening to understand. When we listen to respond, we aren't really listening. We have this track running in our mind, figuring out what we're going to say next, just waiting for them to take a breath. On the other hand, when we listen to understand, we tune out that response track and we truly listen to connect with someone's heart. Like sowing seeds in hard soil, in rocky soil, you also don't have to have the answers. You simply listen, which let me be honest here, it's really hard for too many of us to do. We also like to talk far more than we like to listen. But listening makes someone feel heard and understood, cared for, loved, a little less alone. And God uses all of that to cultivate soil. Our script calls for us to develop some master listening skills. So I'm pairing listening compassionately with speaking sparingly. In rocky soil, you are simply trying to develop a relationship built on a foundation of trust. You're trying to find common ground that will allow for a deeper connection later in time. This soil, like hard soil, isn't ready for you to download the plan of salvation. They don't need you to be super spiritual. When I talk with a rocky soiled someone, I try to empathize with their situation. I might even offer to pray with them, 
at that moment and beyond. Strategically, I'm trying to point them in a direction that will lead to Jesus without being too obvious or pushy about it. Like I might offer a biblical principle without quoting the verse or giving context. At this point, they don't necessarily need to know my source. I don't need to solve their problems. Anything I say is more focused on encouragement and support of their journey. What I do or don't say on this one just depends on the person and the kind of relationship we have and the nature of the conversation. There aren't any formulas. It's a good thing we have the Holy Spirit and his wisdom living in us. I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit at the same time as I'm listening to the other person. That counts as listening to understand. And he leads me in these holy moments. Which brings us to thorny soil. This is where the stakes get a little higher. This is the kind of soil where you want to enter into those hard questions that people ask about God and faith, etc. And have a two-way dialogue. These are the kinds of conversations that scare us. This is the kind of soil where conversations require more risk. Hence, the thorns. I don't want to shortchange us on this one. So we are going to talk about thorny soil conversations next week. I think I have a strategy that will take away almost all of the fear. So for now, all of those other seeds still apply. Which leaves fertile soil. Fertile soil is much easier to navigate because it's been primed and cultivated by our master gardener and you're talking with someone who is very interested in what a Christ-centered life looks like. So I won't say much here for now other than this is where you might want to know how to help someone receive the good news. Let me close with this thought. Learning how to effectively sow the best seed type in the best soil for that seed type is really important for productive evangelism. But a life well lived for Jesus is the best seed of all. We, we, talk, we, we talk about a kind of life that is night and day from what the world offers. We offer a hope that the world can't find. We offer peace that transcends every circumstance that only can be found in Jesus. We offer extravagant grace, unconditional love, the power living in us to rise above whatever else comes our way. We preach that Jesus changes lives. The best seed of all is a life that is lived out like this. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're all people in process. That's okay. But when people look at you, do they want what you have? Can they tell the difference? I was paid one of the highest compliments I've ever been paid last month. A friend told me that I'm one of the only people that he's ever met that make him want what I have. He pictures the world burning around me with me still at peace. Now, I don't say that to toot my own horn. Believe me, I have my moments too. But that's what we want people to see in us. That is the best seed we could ever sow. We need to live our lives in such a way that we prove that Jesus works. That following Jesus works. That it changes lives. Our script will lead to that kind of life. We, we will all get there if 
we follow our script. Okay, so quickly, here's your homework for this week. Last week, I asked you to pray for wisdom and leading in recognizing divine point appointments for boldness, etc., etc., etc. This week, add to that, meaning don't stop praying like we talked about last week, but add to that this week, think about the people you know that, that might be in each of these soil types and ask God for the wisdom and opportunity to sow seed in these specific people. Easy peasy. Let's pray. In these moments, it is entirely possible that we have people here in the room, people watching online, who have made the journey to fertile soil and are ready to surrender their lives to Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to make today the day that you say yes. That you believe that Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. That he loves you so much that he gave up everything to be nothing for you. And then when he rose again, he conquered death so that we might live, not just in eternity, but live now with the power of the Holy Spirit moving through every part of our lives. All you have to do is say yes to that. Yes, I believe in Jesus. And if that's a decision that, that you've made today, I want to know. Let me know somehow. If you're in the room, you can come up to me after the service. Uh, online, you can email me or call the church, but let me know. I want to help you take the next steps. Father, give us wisdom as we sow seed for the glory of your kingdom. Give us wisdom to recognize the type of seed to soil in every aspect of our lives, wherever we go. We pray, Father, that, um, that you would give us boldness, that you would take away fear, and that you would use us to connect other people to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who called Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. 
we count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of his kingdom. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that's appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.